Somebody say praise the Lord this morning. So good to see everybody in the house. I, uh, I heard that there was going to be a special. I didn't know who or what. And, uh, and when I got up there and sat down, there wasn't hardly anybody on the front row. And I thought I was going to have to sing. And then I told John Sells, I said, well, since you're here, you're going to have to sing. And he said, well, if you do, there, he said, if I do, there won't be any anointing up there. So, so the Lord's in control. Somebody say amen. Amen. I want to preach a word to you this morning. I felt like God this last week has really dropped into my heart. It just during some devotional time, it just really connected, and the Lord just kept dealing with me about it. And um, I just have one short verse of scripture. You can remain seated. I just want to read this to you. Uh, it's found in Mark chapter 10. Very, very familiar passage of scripture. Mark chapter 10 and verse 27. And at Jesus speaking here, he says, Looking at them, Jesus said, With men, it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Somebody say amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and truly, Lord, it is good to be in your house. God, I'm just believing that this is a day of miracles. God, I'm just believing that this is the day, Lord, that people have come in with weights and burdens and cares. God, that they would be set free. Lord, we know that you do wondrous miracles and you truly set the captive free, but God, we also have to choose to live in that. We have to choose to operate in that. And God, I pray that our minds would be renewed, Lord, that our hearts would be renewed in you, God, that this would be a definitive day in our walk with you, God. Lord, that we can become more like King Jesus. And everybody that says, that agrees, say amen. 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 I quickly want to just give a, a, a report on a couple of things. Some of you uh, have saw Pastor uh, Mike and Ashley Lampkin. Their baby boy was born, Cooper. We give God praise for that. Amen. And uh, yes, and, and we're excited for them. Of course, he's on a, taking a little vacation. Some of you may have seen it come across the report that he was uh, taken up to Cardinal Glennon in St. Louis, and the baby was. But I talked to Mike this morning, and the baby is doing better. And so we give God praise for that. He is doing better. Amen. And then also, I've had a few people even contact me, of course, about the horrible hurricane, you know, that's going on over, that, that just came through Florence, that just came through on the East Coast, and they're wondering, well, what has the church done? What's the Church of God doing? I want to say the Church of God, our denomination, is doing a lot. They have, they have uh, five, I read this morning, they have five different distribution centers over there on the East Coast, and uh, our denomination is pouring lots and lots and lots of funds into helping those people. They... They have the capability of feeding 5,000 meals a day uh, just in that. And so God, God is on the move through our denomination. We're, we're doing as best we can. Amen. We need to take care of them. And so just wanted to give you guys a little update on, on some of those things that's going on. I want to preach to you this morning uh, just a message, maybe a simple concept that God gave me. And it's simply this. We have to start avoiding uh, the diversions in our life. God just kept dropping that thought into my spirit through some devotion time, avoiding the diversions in our life. And you say, well, what does that scripture that you just read have to do with that? And I think as we go on through the message, I think it will start to click and make a little bit more sense. Um, that scripture that I just, I just read to you was based out of the context of the rich young ruler. Many of you have read that. You've seen it in scripture, the rich young ruler who had everything at his fingertips. He had all the money. He had all the possessions, everything that he could possibly need to live a comfortable life. And, and in, the, in the context of it, if you know the story, you know, Jesus told him, he said, this one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have. 
give it to the poor and come and follow me. And you know the story how the Bible points out that the rich young ruler, he turned around and went the opposite way. He obviously did not do that. And then uh, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, you know, they're confirming everything that the rich young ruler had said that he had done all the ceremonial law. He had kept the law. And they basically were questioning Jesus and they were saying, Jesus, you know, if this man cannot be saved based on keeping the law and serving all the ceremonial law, then who can be saved? And Jesus' response to that, you know, is that basically with nothing is impossible with God. That's the context of this verse that I just read to you. And I want you to understand it in studying for this, the Lord... I begin to study, what does it mean, a diversion? We've, we've used that word. I've used that word all my life on different things, diversion. What does that mean? And I looked it up in the dictionary just to be specific on it. And it means this, and to quote it, it says, an instance of turning something aside from its course. An instance, that's what a diversion is. It's an instance of turning something aside from its course. And coupled with diversions are distractions. And let me say this, and I think you guys know this. This is just a, a basic concept that distractions and diversions can actually, on, on, on looking at them, can be good things or bad things. It can be a seemingly good thing. It can be a seemingly good thing that on the surface can become a distraction that will ultimately lead to a diversion. And these are the things that pull people's attention away from something else. If you are doing something and you get diverted, you, there's a diversion, your course has now switched. You're going in a different direction and you have forsaken the original thing. And distractions too are good things and they prevent somebody from giving their full attention. And it can be said, I think with authority, I don't have... Uh, studies or whatever to, to back this up, but I think this is just one of those common sense things that there are at our fingertips now more distractions and more diversions available to us today than at any other point in history. Is that a true statement? I, you know, it's funny to me how, how science and all these social scientists and different people will, you know, do these years, years-long studies and spend all this money studying something that is just common sense. You know, and man, you, you, you spend all this time and energy that everybody already knows. And we know in our heart of hearts that there are more distractions and more diversions available to us in this day and age than there has ever been in the history of the world. Now, with that said, jumping back to our scripture text, I ask the question, God, is it possible? Is it possible for people in this day and age to get singular focus on you and on the things of God and not get distracted and not get diverted unto the junk of the world? Is it possible? And I'm here to tell you it is possible. Because even though we're living in a day and age where we look around maybe even at ourselves or our homes or schools and everybody around us, we say we, 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 all of our attention is on a hundred different directions going, so many distractions. We're living lives full of distractions. Is it possible to get focused on you and serving you and loving you? And I want to tell you it is. 
Because on the outside, it might not seem possible, but with God, all things are possible. It is possible. I feel this in my spirit today. You see, people can have priorities, and priorities can either be good things or bad things. But priorities, when somebody says, this is the priority of my life, or that is the priority of my life, what they're really saying is, that that thing or that issue or that person or that whatever, they are the foundation upon which everything else in their life is built. That's what a priority does. That's what it means. And you can have right priorities that are foundational and you can even have wrong priorities that are foundational. And I'm going to give you a silly example of something. I listen to, to, to Dave Ramsey probably daily. And people will call in. And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes Dave Ramsey, he, he, thank God he ain't a preacher because if he was a preacher, he couldn't grow a church because sometimes he just treats people like they're fools. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Somebody will call in and he'll just say, well, you're an idiot. And I, I'm, ooh, ooh, you know, man. And, you know, he, I don't know how he gets away with it, but somehow he gets away with it. And, and people will call in and they'll start giving their spiel about their finances and They'll talk about, they'll start mentioning things that, that they're paying for and their priorities. You know, well, I've got to have my internet connection and I've got to have my cable connection. And he'll usually kind of interrupt them and tell them what a big moron they are. And he'll come back and he'll say something to the effect. He'll say, no, 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 no. The priorities of life are this. Number one, food. Number two, you've got to wear clothes. You don't want to walk around naked. Number three, you've got to have some shelter. And he'll come along and what he's trying to, re to do is he's trying to bring people back to a foundational reality of what really matters. If you, are, if you are choosing to pay your cell phone bill and pay your cable bill and your internet bill, but you can't put food on the table, there's a wrong priority in your life. Somebody say amen. There's something wrong with that. And so he's trying to bring them back to a foundational reality of what really matters. And he's trying to shock them into that. Now, I know that's kind of a silly example, but for the Christian, we as believers in God, there are also other foundational things. Yes, we as, as human beings, we have to have food, we have to have clothing, we have to have shelter, but as believers in God, there are also some foundational things that be, should, somebody say should, should become priorities in your life like the Word of God. I'm serious now. You say, well, Josh, that's basic preaching. But we have to spend time in the Word of God if you're ever going to get your mind renewed. If you're ever going to come out of the cesspool of wrong thinking, of junk thinking, you have to look at the Word of God and say, God, I choose to believe what you say here above and beyond my own emotions and above and beyond my own feelings. Amen? That's faith in action. Things such as prayer. Prayer, family prayer, individual prayer, corporate prayer, church attendance, spiritual things, things such as loving God and loving other people. These should be priorities that are foundational that we have our minds and our eyes locked onto that before we do anything else, we will not get diverted or distracted. We will do these things each and every day. Foundational. Now, it's hard though. There's so many things that are pulling at us, trying to 
to distract and divert us from the things of God. And in that scenario, what that really means is is that the minors of life become majors and the majors of life become minors. Amen? You know, in college, you can major in things. You can also minor in things. It's amazing to me whenever you see some of these kids going to school, spending four years of study, spending all kinds of money on, like, I don't know, a degree in underwater basket weaving. <laughs> and they try and turn it into some kind of a, uh, you know, a priority, that this is important, that you're really going to be able to go out here and make an income on that. They have minored in something that is so, and I'm not trying to harp on college, you don't want to say, but, but what that tells you is, is that their, their focus is on something that's not even marketable, that nobody really wants, that nobody really cares about. Something that's not a priority. Get this, we live a life of diversions. There was a Business Insider article that I read that said this. 34% of consumers, that's us, we're the consumers. It said that 34% of consumers within the United States look at their phones, talk about their cell phones, 150 times a day. 150 times a day. That's ridiculous. I ain't trying to throw stones or heart. I'm just trying to paint you a picture. I, I'm guilty of looking at my life. But when you see how many times, 150 times a day, how do we get anything done? I'm serious. There was a Washington Post article that said this. Now, teens, I love you. I used to be a youth pastor. Hear me out. I ain't picking on you, but let me, just, let me just point something out. A Washington Post article, they did a study. This is what it said. It said the average teen spends nearly nine hours every day consuming some kind of a media. That's more time than they spend in school or sleep. They are ingesting stuff. They're, in, they're, they're ingesting things that create diversions and distractions. And some things can be good and some things can be bad. And I can give you an example after example. And I'm not here to, to, to preach on the pros and the cons of social media and all these kinds of things. But I'm just trying to prove a point to you that we as a culture, especially in America, we as a culture, we thrive on diversions. That's how we live our lives. We sleep a few hours every night only to wake up and we just can't wait to go from, from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing and we can't focus on nothing. So many diversions. We get so connected that we get disconnected from the things that truly matter. Let that sink in. We get so connected that we get disconnected from the things that really matter. And people say all the time, well, what's to be done, Josh? You've painted a bleak picture. That's not why I'm here. I ain't trying to, you know, depress you. But I'm trying to be real with you. People say, well, what can be done? What are we to do? The Bible says with people, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 says this. And it's a challenge. It's a, the Apostle Paul writing this. He says, now I am saying this for your own benefit. Not to put a restraint on you, but because of what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Some, some uh, versions say without diversion. So that you can be devoted to the Lord without being diverted from things. Diversions come in all shapes and sizes. 
And it's been my experience that the enemy will come in with diversions, usually right at the point of a breakthrough. Right at the point of a breakthrough, the enemy will come in and he will, he, he will throw something in your path to get your attention off what really matters, to entice you to somehow go down one path that God never really intended. Maybe, maybe you get diverted right at that crucial moment when your son or your daughter is about to get saved. They're about to hit rock bottom and the Lord is doing a work in their life and all of a sudden, you quit praying for them because you get discouraged and you give up on them right at the, mo right at the moment of a breakthrough. Am I making sense in the house? Or right at the moment of you stepping into your calling. You're getting ready to step into your calling, your God-given purpose, boom, a diversion appears. Or maybe right at the moment when your marriage is, that's about to be ripped apart and God is doing a miracle He's done a miracle, and right at the moment of seeing it actually come to pass, boom, a diversion. That's what the devil does. Right at that moment. And you can be in the middle of a miracle, and then the cares of life, just the cares of life. I'm jumping ahead of my notes, but let me say this. It ain't always the devil. It ain't always demons. It's many times just... The, the cares of life, the natural things of life appear. They show up and they begin to divert your attention away from the things that really matter. They create a diversion so that the number one priority of your life is thrown off track. Now the Bible says this. It says that, that in the last days, perilous times will come and that the signs of the times, that's what 2 Timothy chapter 3, how many of you know we're living in, in the last days? How many of you know that there are perilous times? They're here. They're everywhere. They're here. That seducing spirits would come. Evil men would come. That things would wax worse and worse and worse. Listen, I know what it is to sit there and watch the news, you know, to watch the news networks and you say, man, it cannot get any worse than this. Only to find out the next day somebody has got real creative and they figured out a way to do it. And it's just things getting worse and worse and worse. But I want to tell you something. There's also unbelievable potential. You say, well, Josh, in the last days, perilous times will come. And that scripture is true. We believe the word of God. It is true. But the Bible also says in Joel that in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit, says the Lord. That's what the word of God also says. So whenever we see sin abounding, we also know that the word of God says that his grace would much more abound. That whenever sin increases and things get ridiculous, that God says, I'm just going to pour out a little more grace. In other words, God says, my grace is ahead of the sin curve. It's way ahead of the sin curve. It outpaces it. It outgrows it. We see things happening. And we as a church culture, we as a Christian culture, we see all this stuff. We see the perilous times. Because that's all CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and all the others will show you. They'll show you the perilous times. They'll try and convince you that there really is no hope. Or they'll try and convince you that the government is the only way things are going to get any better. It's been my experience. If the government meddles in anything, they screw it up. You say, oh, he's getting political now. But you have to say, who am I going to believe? 
Am I going to believe the junk of the perilous times? And yes, they are there. But are you also going to choose to believe the report of the Lord? Whose report are you going to believe? That of CNN or the Lord's report? Are you going to be, are you going to be subject to the diversions of this world and follow after the junk and buy into the lies and all this kind of stuff? Or are you going to have faith and stand strong on the report of the Lord? I heard just the other day they were talking about, give me an example of something. They were talking about the fierceness of hurricanes. And, and I don't mean to down, downplay the effects of what happened with this hurricane that moved in. I don't mean to make light of that at all. But they were talking about how, you know, man-made uh, effects and, and global warming and all this kind of stuff. And, and about how, you know, hurricanes, they're increasing. Actually, no, they're not. Actually, science proves that hurricanes are happening with less frequency. You say, well, Josh, why are you, what are you bringing all this up? I'm here to tell you that the news will lie to you. Shocker. Shocker. They'll straight up lie to you. And so there's all this stuff. They'll tell you that everything you know is going to hell in a handbasket. But I want to tell you, these are just diversions. These are diversions of the enemy. Amen? Speaking of a storm, when you look in the Bible, you see the story of uh, Peter. Whenever he's facing the storm, and they're in the boat, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and, and you know the storm, how, whenever it hit, and, and they look out and they see Jesus. And I just love that. I just love that whole picture. I mean, can you imagine a storm? I've been on the Sea of Galilee. It's huge. It's massive. It's about seven miles across. You know, it's, it's massive. It's big. And, 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 and you can imagine some of the massive waves and the massive storms and things that could come up and hit that. And here they are. They're in straight-up panic mode. You know, they're putting on life jackets and all this kind of stuff. They're on their CBs radioing for help, waiting for the, the Coast Guard to come get them and all this kind of stuff. And here just comes Jesus just taking a walk. I mean, in other words, the storm ain't nothing for him. Somebody say amen. The storm ain't nothing for him. And here just comes Jesus. You know, he's just walking on the water. And then the storm hits them. And the, the, the people in the boat, they're overwhelmed with fear. The disciples are overwhelmed with fear. They're overwhelmed with thoughts. And just like Peter in the storm, Jesus is right in the middle of the storm with you. It's been my experience that when natural circumstances of life comes, illness and sickness and, and, and you know, making sure you pay the bills and keeping the house clean, in other words, all the distractions of life, when, when all those storms hit and they're going on, Jesus is right in the middle of that stuff with you. He's right in the middle of it. He's headed your way. And you have to choose in the middle of all these things, pulling for your attention, pulling to be a diversion in your life. You have to choose, am I going to take my eye off of Jesus or am I going to follow the distraction? Am I going to follow after all this stuff or am I going to follow after Jesus? Your job is not to get distracted and then diverted. There's many people that are in here that are distracted about you because of your past. Every time you try and step into a miracle, every time you try and God tries to do something in your life, you can't, you can't receive the miracle because you're still living in the past. Or when God wants to do a breakthrough, you're living in fear, you're living in failure. You follow after these diversions and you go down these paths of destruction. And like I said earlier, many times the diversions can be seemingly good things. Good things that take your eye and take your focus off of the things of God. There's a difference in a distraction and a diversion. Distraction means this, that your attention 
To distract means that your attention is off what really matters. In other words, I could be going down a path. I can be headed in the right direction. I can be going the right way and I stop and, and something gets my attention. I'm still pointed in the right direction. My intention is still, is still to go this way. But for a moment, there's an instant when something distracts me. It takes my attention off of what I'm supposed to be doing. And can I tell you, it's in that moment that the enemy, when your eye is not on the prize, when your eye is not doing where, what it needs to be, that the enemy will come in and he will infiltrate your life. If your attention is over here, he will come in from your blind side. And then what he'll do, the good things that are in your life, the things that need to be there and stay there, they will begin to exfiltrate. He'll take your attention over here. And the good things he'll begin to remove from your life. Am I making sense? He'll come and distractions cause you things to come into your life that don't need to be there. And maybe you begin to lose some things that do need to be there. But a diversion is different because if he can distract you for a moment, then all of a sudden things take a different twist. Because you start focusing on distractions so much, now what happens is you begin to divert. You're no longer headed in the right way, but because you've bought into distractions, now your intention is I'm going to go a different direction. And you'll see how this happens. You might know what I'm talking about. Has it ever happened in your life? And what happens is, you may be asking, Josh, can we really, can we really have victory over these things? Absolutely. In the story of Peter that we were talking about there, there was a moment, there's a transition. There's a shift in the story where Peter sees Jesus and he says, Lord, if that's you, let, let me come to you. And Jesus says, okay, come on. And you all know the story. He gets out of the boat and he's walking on the water and, you know, this story's been preached on a thousand different, thousand different times, thousand different ways. And he gets out of the boat and with Jesus' permission. And then all of a sudden, instead of focusing his attention on Jesus, he begins to pay attention to the storm. He begins to see the, the strong wind and the waves. And, you know, he begins to sink. He begins to take his eyes off of Jesus Christ. And he cries out for Jesus to save him. And Jesus does save him from it, but he missed out on the miracle. Let that sink in. Yes, he got out of the boat, but, you know, and it's pure speculation. And this is just Josh's interpretation for, for here for just a second. Who knows what would have happened if he had kept his eyes on Jesus? If he had just kept his, what, what would they have done out there? Would they have just stopped and had dinner in the middle of the lake? I don't know. What would they have done out there? But because his attention got off of Jesus, the moment of the miracle was lost to the diversion. And instead of now us focusing on him getting out of the boat and that miracle itself, we always want to criticize Peter. Well, yeah, he lost faith. The attention is no longer on that moment. We want to criticize him. Because of distraction, he went from walking on the water in a miracle to nearly drowning. And that's just what the devil wants to do to us all the time. Amen? Amen? Some of you are in the middle of a moment when God wants to come in and do a breakthrough. And the enemy comes along and he starts sending distractions left and right to derail you. I, I, this is what would have happened if Peter would have just stayed the course? You know what I think would have happened? I think all the other disciples that were in the boat, I think they would have been like, well, Lord, 
If, if he can do it, can we do it? Lord, if he's going, can we get out? And I think Jesus would have said, yep, y'all come on. Come on over. Let's just, you know what? The boat will take care of itself. Let's just walk over to the other shore. And you say, well, Josh, what does that have to do with anything? I believe that if you will keep your attention on Jesus and forget the distractions and the diversions, that others will come to Jesus too. Because that is exactly what God wants to do through your life and in your life. It's when you get distracted, you don't just miss out on it for you, but others miss out on Jesus as well. Who knows what would have happened? It's not always the devil and demons keeping you distracted. In fact, I believe what the devil will do is that he will piggyback his attack. That's a phrase I just coined. Piggyback the attack. He will just wait until the natural things of life come along and hit you, and then he's like, you know what? That's a good one. And then he'll come on and he'll just start pouring on. He'll just start pouring on that thing of life that, that's, that really had nothing to do with the devil and demons. You know, we always want to over... Listen, we, there's a spiritual realm, amen? We have a spirit, amen? But there's also a... We want to just attribute, well, the devil did this. Not always. And it's our responsibility as Christians, whether it is the devil or whether it is just the natural things of life, we're to tow the road anyway. We're to stay the course anyway. But the devil will come along and he'll piggyback his attack. The natural things of life, illnesses. He'll just come and he, you not, well, they're sick, but then all of a sudden he'll begin to play with your mind. Well, this is far worse than they're really telling you. You know, and you just go through this junk. There's hobbies that become distractions. I've said it before, but social media is a big one anymore. All kinds of social media, that's a big, big, big distraction. There's relationship woes. There's just the busyness of life. There's fears. And can I tell you, can, can I just be honest with you when it comes to the priorities of God? Maybe the house is going to have to wait another day to get cleaned if it's going to keep you from the things of God. Maybe the yard's going to have to wait another day to get mowed if it's going to keep you from the things of God. Well, the car needs to be washed. Well, you know what? It's not priority over Jesus. Come on. I know this is just basic, simple preaching. If it's going to distract you from the things of God, if it's going to keep you from what really matters, don't do it. Don't fall prey to that stuff. There's a story in Luke 14 about this, uh, of a ruler who was throwing a banquet. You guys can read this for yourself. He was throwing a banquet and he sent out a servant to specific people that he wanted to invite to come. And he told the servant, he said, go tell them all. Tell them all that everything's ready, that everything's ready to go, that they just need to come on. And, and you can see the three different responses of the people that, that he had sent out the initial invitation. The first one said, well, I can't come. You know, I just bought a field. I just bought a field, and I need to go inspect that thing and make sure it's up you. Know. And in other words, his business got in the way. His business got in the way. Too busy for the things of God because he was trying to take care of his money. And then there's other things. One of them got married and listen, you say, well, Josh, listen, there's nothing wrong with owning a business. Business is good thing. We have to make money in order to provide with our families. Amen? See, these are seemingly, these are good things in and of themselves. Amen? Good things in and of themselves. One of them got married. There ain't nothing wrong with that. That's a seemingly good thing. But what happened is those things took priority 
over the king's invitation. And his response is, and I'm jumping in my notes a little bit, was basically, okay, forget them. Forget them. You go, and he tells the servant, you go and you invite those that really don't have anything to offer, nothing special to offer. You go and invite those that will not get diverted unto other things of the world, and you tell them to come, and as far as the initial group goes, forget them. That's hard. All of the initial group declined the invitation because of natural things, seemingly good things, that got in the way of what was truly important. Don't tell me that seemingly innocent, insignificant things can't keep you from Jesus. It's not always the devil and demons. The Bible points out that it's the small foxes, the small things that will spoil the vine. The Bible points out also that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And we have to stay connected to the vine if we're going to get what we need from the Lord. And you have to make up your mind that you will not be diverted because there will never be, hear me now, there will never be a perfect time or season when Jesus fits perfectly into your natural schedule. Ever, it ain't never going to happen. It ain't never going to be this perfect, well, this is, this is the time, this is it. Because about the moment you start to think that, all of a sudden something in life will come along and blindside you, pulling for your attention, vying for your attention, trying to divert you to go down a path you don't need to go down. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 27 says this, Do not turn to the right or to the left, but keep your foot from evil. It's talking about diversions. If, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you turn to the right or the left and you go down the wrong path, then you have been diverted from where you originally need to go. And the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he says this about himself. He says, this one thing I do, one thing I do, in other words, what he was saying is, I have established a priority and that Jesus was the center of his attention in spite of the whippings that Paul went through, in spite of the beatings and the shipwrecks and the sicknesses and the stonings and the betrayals and the famine and the hardship. He goes on to say in verse 14 that he chooses to pursue the prize. Pursue the prize. Can I tell you, church, Pursue the prize. Go after it. Run to win the race. I'm going to use Lily. Lily, are you here, baby? There she is. I hope you don't get mad at me. You can chew me out later. She had a race up in Cape yesterday. She runs on the cross-country team. And I ain't saying this because I'm picking on you, Lily. I'm saying this because I've been there a thousand times myself. So this is as much for me as it is for her. And, you know, we're, we're, we're doing the parent thing. You know, we're up there and we're encouraging her. We're, we're trying to, you know, ag her along and, and really lift her up and all this kind of stuff before, you know, get in there and win that thing, you know, and blow their doors off and, and, and using all kinds of expression, you know, leave nothing in your tank. And she's like, what tank are you talking about? <laughs> what, what tank? I'm not carrying a tank. What are you talking about? You know? And, and she, she don't know what, I, what I'm even talking about. And so... We're using all this stuff to try and encourage her, and all of a sudden the race starts. And, and usually in cross country, for the most part, you only see your kid twice as soon as they take off and whenever they cross the finish line. It's not real exciting. It's not, unless they're winning. Then it's super exciting. 
And, and so she takes off, you know. And but what happened was it was just a it was a perfect moment. Hannah and I are leaning over the, this fence, and we're over by the finish line. And and for the most part, you can't see the the, the path that they're taking, that they're running. But I was looking, Hannah was to my left, and I happened to look over at her, and right behind her, I saw Lily run. There was just a little space gap in the fence, and I saw Lily run. And this is, this is what she did. I'm not picking on you, Lily. I love you. You know that, right? I'm just doing the dad thing. And she's running along, and, and she, she caught up to a friend. And Lily was giving it everything. And she, when she got to that friend, she just went, oh. And they just started running together, kind of jogging. And all of a sudden, I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, we, we have talked about this. You know what I mean? No, we have talked about this. And before I could do anything, Hannah had done left. She had done left. I, I, was, I was just, I about lost my mind over that. I ain't kidding you. <laughs> Hannah took off, and she caught her down at the, Hannah's like, that ain't going to happen. And she took off and went down to the fence, and she's standing at the fence, you know, and, and she could see Lily. She's like, Lily, you can talk to her back at the finish line. You run as hard as you can go and just kind of chewing her out as she can, you know, running along. And, and I, I didn't even know where Hannah had went for a minute. I just thought, what happened? And then finally, Lily rounds the corner and comes up the other side, and we're seeing her way down. We're like, run! Run as hard as you can go! You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Distraction. Distraction. And we've all been there. Amen? But the whole point of it is, is that when you're in a race, you run to win. You run to win. You may not be as fast as everybody else. You may not actually win the physical race. But here's what I do know. You are called to win the race that Christ has set before you. Your race, give the Lord a hand clap of praise on that, yes. Your race may not be the same as it is everybody else, but God has in his mind what he wants you to do. He has a will and he has a purpose. He has a plan. And like I said, you may not be able to keep up with everybody else, but you're going to beat a whole bunch of others. And if you will run the race he has given you with his intention, he will bless you. He will reward you. Well done. When you stand before the Lord, don't you want him to say to you, well done? When you cross the finish line, don't you want him to... Oh, I didn't mean stand, folk. You can be seated. We'll do that in just a minute. Some of y'all are ready. You're like, man, he needs to hurry up. I thought I heard some keys jingling back there in the back somewhere. It ain't even 12 o'clock yet. I got three more pages here. It's good stuff. Thank you for putting that up there. They got 1141 right back there. They'll let me know the time. Appreciate you. Listen, I want to I give you this. All the time, I've been do, I did some research on this. I, I actually dug out some quotes and some, some stats. And listen, I know stats are boring. I had to do it whenever I was in grad school. If anybody's ever been to grad school and, and stuff, you have to do all kinds of research. And I don't necessarily enjoy it. 
and, and it's kind of boring, laborious stuff, but there's a point to it. I, I want you to hear something. This, this, this made my heart just jump on fire. Because here's what, here's what the world will tell you, especially about the church in America. And, and I want to be honest, there's, there's some truth in the stats. You know, they'll say that overall church attendance in the United States is declining and blah, blah, blah. And in fact, I think it was two or three years ago, there were only two denominations in, represented within the United States. Two. Two denominations out of Lord only knows how many within the United States that saw any increase. They were the Assemblies of God and the Church of God. Praise God. That saw growth and increase. Praise God for that. You say, but Josh, there's a lot of other denominations declining. Listen, I know the junk that's going on here in America because, because that was, that's what we hear. That's where we are. This is our culture. This is our nation. That's what we pay most of our attention to. But you need to hear this. It points out that it seems like that the church around the world is losing ground. I want to tell you that's a lie. No, it really, it's, it's a lie. I'm being for real. You say, well, now, Josh, I've heard too much report. I'm going to tell you, no, listen to me. Listen to this. Did you know that the church in Africa, the continent of Africa, is exploding? It's exploding. God is saving people left and right. And as of 2015, there were 631 million Christians living in Africa. That's 45% of the continent's population. It ain't always been like that because it wasn't, it wasn't 50, 60, 70 years ago that we didn't have too many missionaries and God sent in missionaries primarily from the United States that went over there and now nearly half of the continent is saved. You don't hear that kind of stuff, but that's good news. What about in Latin America? I'm going to tell you something. Latin America, get this. Now, now, now we, can, we can debate till the cows come home. About, well, now, just because somebody claims to be saved, are they really saved? Just because they associate with this. I, here, here's what I'm going by. Those that identify with Christianity. That's all you can do. Amen? That's, that's all way you can get this stat. Nine, get this. 92%, according to a Bible Gateway article, 92% of Latin America, roughly 601 million people, identify as being Christian. Now, I know all day long there's people that can identify with being Christian. Well, they say they're saved, but they're not really saved. Well, they're part of that. You know, you, you can debate that stuff till the cows come home. But for those that just sit there and say, hey, they identify with Christ. 601 million, 92% of their population? That's powerful. In Europe, 571 million Christians. In Asia, and a lot of those, one, one stat I heard a, a while back talked about how many Christians were in China, ch just China alone. It stated that there were more Christians in the country of China than there are U.S. citizens. Let that sink in. Give the Lord a hand clap. And that's, that's underground church movement, most of it. They can't identify as Christian over there because they'll be thrown in prison or be shot or whatever. In North America, 277 million Christians. That's powerful. That's powerful. And listen, as of 2015, Christians make up 
31.2% of the world's population. That's 2.4 billion people. Billion people. All the time we hear stuff such as, well, you know, the Islam and the Muslims, they're on their way up, and, and you know what? And they are, they are dangerous, and they're, they're fanatical about what they're doing, about how Islam is going to overtake Christians. You know what? I just I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I just don't believe that the world, you know, God is still on the throne. He's not going to let the world fall prey to that, that kind of demonic uh, activity. Amen? So don't tell me that the world is going to hell in a handbasket just yet. People are being saved across this world by the thousands every day. And our problem, you say, well, what's the point of all this? Our problem is, is that we get diverted, our attention is off the truth, and we can't see the forest for the trees, but that God is really on the move. He's on the move. CNN ain't going to tell you that. The politicians ain't going to tell you that. They'll pawn it off as though they are the only ones that can fix all of our problems. And No, only Jesus is the only one that can pull that off. Don't think too highly of yourself. The gates of hell shall not prevail. So don't get distracted. You know, here's the other thing too, is that it doesn't take a lot to distract us. Anybody ever seen the movie Up? The cartoon Up? Y'all know where I'm headed with this. Your kids do anyway. There's a scene in the movie where, and I don't even remember what his name was, but there's the dog that, you know, they have the little voice box things on. How many of you people know what I'm talking about so I don't look like a fool up here? All right, thank you. There's enough of you. Go ask one of them later on what I'm talking about. So anyway, they wear these little voice box things so that whenever they bark, it actually converts it into audible speech, you know, in English, and you can understand, and they get the dog that's out there, and just like every dog does, my stupid dog does this same thing too. You'll take him outside, and they'll be going along, and all of a sudden, and in his case, he's going along and he's like, squirrel! <laughs> and distractions. It didn't take much to distract him. And what I learned is that if you really think about it, it doesn't take a whole lot of stuff to distract us. You get all these, these fringe movements. You get all these seemingly good things and obviously the bad things that are pulling for our attention. But what if the majority would finally wake up and shake itself loose and quit being so distracted by the little things of life that are making the big noise that things going on in Washington, D.C., things going on in Jeff City, things going on in social media. Just quit all of the distraction. Spend some time with Jesus and allow the Lord to do a work. I heard not long ago, in fact, it was just uh, three or four weeks ago that there was supposed to be a rally that was going to be held out in D.C. and the news media was pawning it off that there was going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were going to show up to this rally and how they were going to have to shut down so many streets and all that. This, this is what the news media was pushing. This is what they were telling people before the rally happened. They literally had tens of people. Tens and tens and tens of people showed up for the rally. But they were expecting everybody in the United States to be distracted by all the, the noise and the non Well, you know, there's thousands of people showing up for this goofy rally, so they must carry some weight and significance. This is, that's what distraction does, is it tries to vie for importance in your life, and it's telling you a lie. That's what distractions are. They're lies. They carry a, a, a megaphone speaking lies, set, telling you that they're far more important than they really are. I've given this stat before, but it, when, when I read this, I absolutely could not believe it. It just, it, 
it made me angry and just, just disbelief. I read one time that during World War II, just prior to World War II, and during World War II, get this, that there were only seven, that, that only 7% of the German population were registered Nazis. Did you hear what I just said? 7% of the German population were registered Nazis. You say, okay, well, bring that down. Translate that for me. 7%, that's not a very big number, folks, if you didn't know. 7% of a population led an entire nation into buying into a lie, fighting a world war that resulted in millions and millions and millions of deaths, all because of a small number. The nation of Germany got distracted and bought into a lie of a small number of people and the consequence was millions of people died. They got distracted by a lie. They carried a lot of weight. They carried a lot of noise. They made a lot of diversions. And that's what happens when diversions get the best of us. They'll lead you astray. They'll lead you astray, just like the German people were led astray by a small portion of people. Also, diversions and distractions won't let you see just how blessed you really are. How many of you were born in America? You're American citizens. Then you are within the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world just by virtue of being born here. We don't see that because we pay attention to the Joneses down the street that just got a, uh, you know, a new Mercedes. Come on. And we buy into this lie that we are somehow not blessed by God. We get distracted by junk that really don't mean anything. When you stand before the Lord one day, He's not going to say, well, just how many Mercedes did you own? You had two? All right, you can get in. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not against blessing Come on. I'm not. But you cannot be diverted. You can't be held captive. And all of your attention, time, energy, effort, blood, sweat, and tears cannot go into stuff that don't matter. <clears throat> Spending time on materialism things. Being held captive to things that don't matter. Things that don't even carry any kind of weight. And usually they are just that. Just silly, goofy things that vie for our attention. I want to close with this point. And I believe it's this. I believe that in these last days that the Lord is wanting to honor and promote and esteem and bless His people. I, I, I mean that even materially. Oh, here we go. That prosperity. No, I ain't preaching no prosperity gospel. Come on. Yes, you know, even Paul said, I pray that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. I'm not preaching against material things as such, but I am preaching against material things having you. I am absolutely preaching against that. Come on, somebody. But most importantly, I believe God wants to honor and promote and esteem and bless us spiritually. Not for the sake of making us haughty and all this kind of stuff where we think we're all that spiritually, but so that the Lord can see His glory through us. It's about Jesus. It's about bringing glory to Him. God wants to bless you, but don't be diverted. And I just want to get specific. I want to say to the young men, and hear me out, young, and I'm just throwing out examples of stuff. Young men, don't get distracted by, by the sex and 
Don't get distracted by all of the, you know, all the sports stuff. You say, well, now he's preaching. No, I'm not preaching against sports, but the odds are you ain't going to the NBA. And if, if, and if your formative years are spent on things, that ain't ever going to happen, or frankly, that the Lord don't want to happen. Instead of the things that really matter, come on. Is that all right? I know we got some sport. I ain't trying to stomp no toes. I'm just saying we got to focus on the things that really matter. Young woman, don't get diverted with all the comparison stuff. Well, I'm not as pretty as, as the rich girl so-and-so who's popular and does this at school and all that. And you walk around with your head hung low because you are living beneath the dignity that God has given you as His child. You get diverted. You get distracted by all this junk. Come on, parents. You ought to be saying amen. You get diverted and you get distracted by all of these things. I want to say to the millennials, quit all this obsession with social media. Quit all, quit all that. I should just stop and go on. But what happens is spending hours a day looking at junk and comparing yourself all day long. Can I tell you something about all them pictures on, on social media? Uh, if you all don't know, that they use filters. There ain't nobody really that good looking. Ain't really, except Bob Fisher. No. There ain't nobody that good looking because you see somebody take a picture and what's the next thing they do? They'll sit there and they'll go through these filters. Well, that's too bright. That's too soft. Well, I could fade this in and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, they'll just sit there and they'll spend all this time. And, and I'm just like, are you for real? Are you for real? And then they're like, oh, well, th this is perfect. This is the perfect one. And so they'll post it with the whole idea, well, I'm going to post this just to see how many likes I can get. I want people to see just how perfect this really is. Come on. And it's lies and distractions. And what happens is people see that stuff and, 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 and they begin to compare themselves. And well, I, you know, I... I can't live up to that. I'll never have that. I'll never be that good looking. I'll never have that much money. I'll never be that smart. And, and, and it beats people up because you fell to distraction and it's a lie to begin with. Ugh. Anybody know what push notifications are? I hate them. I hate them. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Push notifications. You can't do nothing without your phone. You, ding. Oh, well, so-and-so just hit a home run, you know. And you, ding. Kim Kardashian just smiled at the camera, you know. <laughs> Trump made a, well, comment, you know. Well, go figure, you know. And you, and, and you, just, you just, you know, you, ding, and you, ding. Are you kidding me? And all these things vie for attention. How do you get anything done at work? Heard not long ago that the average person spends two and a half hours of their workday on social media. Do your bosses know that? You say, well, he's meddling now. <laughs> Don't get distracted and marry the wrong one. Listen to me. Don't get distracted. Well, he's so good looking. He makes me like, yeah, but can he quote a scripture to save his life? Come on. 
If you say John 3.16 John 3, to him, is he going to sit there with just like... But he makes me laugh. He's the one. Come see me in five years and let's see if you're still laughing. Come on. Parents, quit living your life through your kids. You say, well, now he's, he's, you're, getting, you're getting nosy now. And giving them all these diversions, all things that don't really matter. Just wanting to give them, this is what I hear all the time, well, I just want to give them what I never had. Well, that's all fine and good, but what about giving them what they really need? How about a godly home environment? How about praying parents? How about your kids actually see you pray? How about your kids actually see you shed some tears over them? How about your kids actually see you? Oh, no, leave me alone. I'm in the Word right now. You, you, you know what I read? Maybe I've told you. You know what I heard? Everybody know who John Wesley? This blew me away. I want to be this woman. I'm a man, but I want to be this woman. You, hear what, you know what I mean. I know it's a crazy statement, but... John Wesley, y'all know, you know who I'm talking about. Raise your hand if you know who John Wesley is. If not, it's going to give you a homework assignment. But anyway, John Wesley, great evangelist of the 17th century. His mother raised, I think, something like 14 or 15 children. This was back prior to the days of the washing machines and the dishwashers. It, unbelievable. You know, 14 or 15 kids. His, his brother, Charles Wesley... Uh, wrote a lot of the great hymns and things that we used to sing, even sing now. His brother, Charles, was a powerful preacher, but John Wesley is usually the one that gets all the attention. John Wesley, and I hope I don't get this wrong, they said something about in his lifetime, and I'm coming back to his mama in just a minute, hang with me. In John Wesley's lifetime, and he lived to be an old man, they said that he rode on horseback. He was a circuit preacher over in England, and he even came over to the States for a, for a while when they were the colonies. He came over here and did a few things, but when he was in England, they said he rode a quarter of a million miles on, on horseback preaching. That's 250,000 miles on a horseback preaching the gospel. They said that he, he preached over 40,000 sermons in his life. He would preach seven days a week. He would go to a little village and go on a street corner, whip out his Bible and just start preaching. On a Tuesday morning, passers-by would stop and they would listen to him. People would get saved seven days a week. I could be wrong on this one, but I think I heard they said that he, he wrote, get this, that he wrote over 400 books. He wrote 400 books. Now some of them weren't as thick as this Bible up here, maybe a little pamphlet, but what they consider books... Unbelievable life. You say, okay, now you're talking about John Wesley. Here's his mama. Thank God for praying mamas. His mama. She had all these kids going around. His dad was a believer as well, but his mom was the power behind everything that happened. She had all these kids in the home. And can you imagine the distraction? 14, 15 kids. Can you imagine their house had no room, empty room, to where she could go and be alone. There, there was literally no available room in the house for her to go. It was, you know, this is again mid-1700s or whatever. And what she would do is that she would take an apron and she would pull it down over her face. She did this every day, every day. She would pull this apron down over her face 
And her kids knew, even though they're running around, making noise and doing everything that kids do, that when mama has the apron pulled down over her face, that means she is in prayer time. And we are not to bother her. And if we do bother her, we probably will not survive. I mean, she took it seriously. She did it for an hour a day. You think she didn't have distractions? Was it a perfect setup, perfect dynamic, you know, where she had the praise and worship music playing in the background? And she was all alone in her prayer closet, you know, in her war room and where everything... You, no, she was sitting at the kitchen table with an apron pulled down. And, and I guarantee you, in, in, in the background, she had, you know, all this noise going on. But she was not going to be diverted from her time with the Lord. Don't tell me we don't have time, church. You say, well, Josh, there's all these distractions. Is it really possible? All things are possible. That's what the scripture said. All things are possible. You believe that? Can God do a turnaround? Can God do a work? Can God shake us loose from all this junk? I would like for you to stand.